Welcome to the Indie Comics section. Join us as we take you through the pages of some of the best stories and art that's available in the comic book industry. From trivia to book discussions and to interviews, this is Indie Comics. Welcome once again to another episode of Indie Comics. I'm your host, Tyler, a crusader for creator-owned work in comics. There are fine gems to be found at your local comic book shop, so let's go searching for them. And who is with me joining on this journey today? And, of course, it's your favorite Jeff once again on the journey with you. Woo! All right, Jeff. It's a, it's a journey, especially today. We have an awesome guest on. We oh, have, yes, we do. All right, we have an awesome guest, Eric Shanower. And uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine, Tyler. Perfect. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing really well. I got off of work and I get to relax. And then Mass Effect came out, so I get to play that. Uh, <laughs> Lucky. I know. And uh, okay, let's dive into the comic. This month we have picked an awesome comic called Little Nemo: Return to Slumberland. And this is crazy because I love Little Nemo and I always have. But um, this is of course a new story. And what is Return to Slumberland Slumberland about? I can't talk. What is it about? Little Nemo Return to Slumberland is, it's based on the original comic strip by Windsor McKay from 1905 yep. or 04, I can't remember now. <laughs> so before I think it started. Uh, early in the 20th century. When I was asked to do this, I felt rather intimidated because the idea of revisiting or trying to redo uh, this classic comic strip, which has a great reputation. It's full of beautiful artwork. It's considered a work of genius by some people. That was rather intimidating to think I was going to actually try to do it again, <laughs> do, it, do it as well. So basically the idea that actually allowed me to feel like, okay, I could handle this was when I realized that I could update it and not use the original Little Nemo, who was a, a little five-year-old boy in 1904, yeah. and uh, bring in a new kid from from the current current times. So it's this new kid going to Slumberland. Slumberland is ruled by King Morpheus, who has a daughter who's named the Princess. Yep. <laughs> uh, the original, originally, in the old comic strip by Windsor McKay, Little Nemo was a kid from our world brought to Slumberland to be a playmate for the princess. So basically the conceit that I was working with was, well, the princess has a long series of playmates. Uh, we, we happen to know which, who one of them was. It was Little Nemo. Uh, we don't know who the rest of them are, but she is in Slumberland. No one really ages. So uh, it doesn't really work out well when you're mixing it with our world. So she keeps having to have more playmates. So, she needs a new playmate, um, and when she sees this one kid whose middle name is actually Nemo, she goes, oh, that's him. And so they bring him to Slumberland, and his adventures getting to Slumberland, and then what happens there. That's awesome. I actually really like that. Um, well, mm -hmm. why, what made you want to revisit it? I mean, you said that they came up to you, but what made you be like, yes, I will do this? Well, I've always loved Little Nemo ever since I first saw it. It's beautiful, beautiful artwork. And I actually had had ideas in the past to revisit Little Nemo and do a, a sort of a new take on it. An idea of a, this sort of dark take on Little Nemo, uh, where Little Nemo has grown up, the original Little Nemo has grown up in the 50s, and he's going through all this horrible psychological stuff because he's been damaged by these weird dreams he had when he was a kid, yeah. and he's repressed them. <laughs> 
taken from this world over to another one was like with like all this craziness so <laughs> yeah yeah it was sort of scarred him when he got too old he got, he got kicked out so i sort of proposed that idea first and the editor was like <laughs> Uh, well, maybe we could make that work, but you did not become excited at all. I think that's a little too depressing. <laughs> so I thought, and then I thought, oh, you know, I really don't want to do that anyway. Uh, you know, another dark take on some childhood, some bright, candy-colored childhood pro- you know, project. I mean, who needs another one of those, right? Right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> anyway, let's do something different. Let's do something that takes the original and revisits it and makes it relevant to kids today. Yeah. Because it... Without Facebook. (laughs) No, it's not really. um, IDW is a publisher. I'm not sure really how big their market is for kids, but this is definitely, at least in my estimation, it's a kid's project. It's a kid's book. Yeah. It's It's a story for kids. Um, it's right there at the 8- to 12-year-old age. Um, and that's who I hope would find it and love it. Not that anybody can't read it, and I want everyone to read it, but that was my, my basic audience that I was writing for. And that's perfect. Like, uh, I feel like there's not enough indie books for um, you know for kids. Like, you have Owly, you have kind of Bone. Bone gets kind of dark. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's not that really much. I mean, I guess maybe a lot of boom, but... I mean, it's awesome seeing IDW, a major, you know, like one of the, you know, one of the big two indie comic uh, publishers doing something that's targeted towards kids. And that's right. So that's always great, especially something with such history and um, and to bring it back. And I think that that's just one of the coolest things ever. Um, when you were trying to approach this, uh, did you and you said you wanted it to be a little bit darker, a little bit edgier. Not really. Ed- I don't know if you said edgier, but um, I don't I didn't want the. I don't want what we actually came up with. I didn't want this project. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I had this dark edgy idea that we sort of threw out, <laughs> threw out early on. That's right. Yeah. But did you want it to have the same tone and kind of uh, build on the world building? Or did you kind of want to make it a little bit like you're on your own? Like, you know, it, it doesn't age, but would they change after a while? Like, Well, here's the problem with, with playing in a sandbox that someone else created you have to use some of the sand in that sandbox, but you can't just repeat everything. You can't make it the same sandbox. Yeah. It's this really tricky line <laughs> to try to tread on a project like this. And I don't. I never planned my career to be this way, but I've been doing things like that a lot in my career. <laughs> yeah, with the uh, Wizard I, of with the Wizard of Oz uh, yeah. series and uh, so. Yeah, I started out. I started out. I mean. One of my, my early one of my earliest big projects was Oz graphic novels in the '80s, where I was writing and drawing um, new Oz stories. And then my current biggest project is Age of Bronze, which is just a retelling of the Trojan War. So yeah, yes. I'm just doing all this stuff where other people have created all this stuff, and I'm just sort of playing with it and rearranging it. So I I don't know why my career has gone like that. <laughs> it's the only isn't thing that I was trying to trying to do, try to, I'm not trying to be known for dealing with other people's projects and retelling <laughs> things, but that's what happened. Um, so Lil Nemo is just another one of those, and you know, 
I, it's not a conscious thing about, well, what element am I going to use and what element am I going to leave out and what am I going to change and what am I going to finesse? I don't, I can't even think that way. Yeah. It was, it was intimidating enough to say, well, I'm going to take this Windsor McKay comic strip, which has this huge, huge reputation and a lot of people have opinions about and try to do and do it new. I just sort of had to say, okay, what's the situation? What does it feel like to me? And sort of write to that feeling and try to throw out any kind of trying to recreate yeah. something that was there at the beginning. I consciously said, don't try to recreate anything. <laughs> just tell the story that seems to be happening with these characters. Um, and, and the new child, the new Nemo figure, was the key to that. Um, yet, while I was writing the scripts, I kept putting in, I kept finding that they were writing stuff was being written in the scripts. I mean, I was writing it, but stuff was going in that sort of had this atmosphere of the old strip. That I wasn't trying to put in because I was sort of trying to stay away from that. Yeah. And so I just, but but once that started happening, I'm just like, okay, let it happen. Don't fight it. Don't just try to just let it be what it is. So I think I think that was good because what felt to me like the atmosphere of the old strip came in naturally. Uh, not I wasn't trying to force it. There was nothing I was trying to actually say. Okay, this is the essence of the strip, and I have to put this in. I was. I was actually saying, well, don't try to capture the essence of this trip because that's the way to fail. That's the road to failure. Yeah. Um, and it sort of slipped in by itself. All right. And uh, let's go ahead and go onward. Um, you kind of alluded to it in your answers earlier, but what was your introduction to the adventures of Little Nemo? Well, I'd heard of the strip when I was a kid. I don't think I actually saw any examples of it until I was about 13 years old. Um, right. in, in books of comics history. I got out of the library. I mean, I loved, <laughs> I loved comics when I was a kid, so I would read comics anywhere. And old strips, old, old books of, full of comics and what like comics. Like Adventure of Tintin? No, well, I mean, I read Tintin when I was, I started reading Tintin when I was five. I had never read too many. Um, I'm talking about comics history books. You know, like you find on the, yeah. the reference section, like, this is where comics started. <laughs> so we print lots of early early examples of strips. And that's when I, I first saw Little Nemo. I don't remember what book it was, but I loved it. It was like, oh, this is wonderful. I wanted to do my own. It's I so happy. I, I started planning my own uh, Little Nemo ripoff comic strip, but I, <laughs> I took one picture and that was it. Oh, that's, that's cool, though. That's great. One little look is all it did for you. Now, um, Gabriel Rodriguez does the art in this gorgeous book. Now, how did you all come about to work together on this uh, particular project? Well, IDW put us together. <laughs> oh, there you go. I didn't have any choice in the artist. I think I, this is why I think the, the project came about because um, Gabriel had drawn a sequence in Lock and Key, uh, that was sort of a little Nemo homage, and I think that gave 
the editors at IDW the idea, oh, we should just do a little Nemo yeah. strip. And there then they probably, I think they probably said, well, who could write this? And then they thought of me. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> what number. I don't know what, how high I was on the list of writers. I haven't, I haven't asked that. But <laughs> right. Scott Dinbeer called me up and uh, he just said, how'd you like to write a little Nemo? In Slumberland book, and I'm like, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> what's the take? And he goes, oh, I don't know. And that's what, that's, that's how it happened. <laughs> that's always the best. Like, it's like you're on this project. Oh, what's the project? You have to figure it out. <laughs> that's cool, though. Um, I, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't really know Gabriel's work before that. Um, and they sent me all I had really seen was the sequence from Lock and Key. Yeah, it was a little Nemo esque. They just sent me a few pages of that. <laughs> and one, it happened. One, Gabriel is so great. Yeah. To work with. Yes, he is. Um, he loves the Limo too. He really loved this project. He loved it even more because he could actually show the kids what he was doing because he couldn't show them Lock and Key. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, definitely not. No, no, definitely not there. I think his son, maybe his oldest son was like five when, when, Little Nemo, when he was working on Little Nemo. And then he started drawing, you know, designing the characters and they all looked right and uh, designing the settings. And then he was actually illustrating my scripts. And when I was writing these, I was there was one double page spread in the first issue where I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm just going to ask him for... The hardest thing I would, I myself would hate to draw this. I, I would, if I got the script, I would be like, oh God. But he just drew it. Uh, now, um, will we see more of Little Nemo's adventures from you since it was obviously very critically acclaimed and loved by uh, several readers out there? Are we going to see more? A lot of readers, man. I So many people talk about this book. It's, oh, yeah. Uh, so good. Well, um, the official answer from IDW <laughs> is yes. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> but if you're going to ask me when, I don't know. Oh, no, I wouldn't go into detail like that. I wouldn't put pressure on you. <laughs> uh, the quintessential no answer. Yet, so uh, there's nothing on, without a contact, there's nothing on the schedule. Um, Gabe wants to do it, and it's basically up to him. Cool. That's great. That's awesome. I'm so excited. Now we'll go ahead and uh, stir some of this toward you now, sir. And how did you get started writing comics? Um, well, I went to the Joe Kubert School of Cartoon and Graphic Art. Oh, yeah. And the last semester I was there, I was really getting kind of nervous because I knew I was going to have to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So I'm like, okay, I have to, I have to get... I have to get work. I have to get work. So I put my portfolio together and I went up to like DC and Marvel for interviews. Um, I sent my portfolio out to all the larger comics companies all over the U.S. And I started getting work. I mean, the, the first job I got was lettering for First Comic for an issue of Warp. And, uh, <laughs> I got that the day after graduation from Hubert's. Oh, that is day, awesome. There you go. The next day, I got a, another job from DC drawing a story in an uh, issue of New Talent Showcase. Um, that rate of getting jobs didn't 
continue one a day, but you know, I, I've gotten plenty of work. <laughs> but that, that is oh, that's uh, so cool. That's how I got into comics, and I started lettering, but then I was drawing, and as far as writing, I mean, um, I was into Nexus for first, but I really wanted to do this odds project that I had a proposal that I'd worked on this proposal for for a long time. And I was sending it out to places, and finally, um, and I was going to be writing and drawing that. So that was my first real writing comic, working comics. And uh, I'd done a little writing for other artists, but the first real job where I was just the writer, not the artist, was the uh, the series of autographic novels that Marvel had me um, write, starting about 2008 almost 10 years ago now. So, uh, and then I was writing those and I've done a lot of, I, I do Oz work all the time. I've done tons and tons of Oz comics and illustration. And so I sort of have a, a bit of a following and all these people are going, how come you're not drawing it? How come you're not drawing it? <laughs> they didn't ask me. <laughs> but Scotty Young drew that series. Oh uh, yeah. And he was just terrific, absolutely terrific. I loved his work. It was kind of scary because I didn't know who's going to be drawing it. Marvel just emailed me and they go, would you like to write this adaptation of the Wizard of Oz? And I'm like, yeah, but what's it going to look like? And with Marvel, who knew? <laughs> so I, I was just like, okay. But once Scotty's work started coming in, it was so beautiful and wonderful. I was, I was fine with it. I was a little nervous before that. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's so cool. All right, well, you really seem to like to revisit a lot of older popular stories like Little Nemo, Wizard of Oz stories, Age of Bronze, and even Fables. Now, is there one in particular story you are aching to write a continuance of? I, and, 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 of course, like, like what you told us, like you just keep getting this work. But, again, right. like it's, it's exciting. I love it. So. <laughs> sure, you get all this work, but is there anything that you particularly want to continue on with? Um, no, there's nothing particular that I'm aching to do at the moment, except get, get back to Age of Bronze, which is, it's been, it's been a long time since the previous issue. Um, I'm, uh, I'm working on issue 34 now. I've been working on it for a long time now. Um, yes, you have, sir. <laughs> it's, uh, it's sitting over there. <laughs> it's right over there. <laughs> oh, Yes. That oh, there is we so go. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is too sweet. Here's issue. Oh, 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 oh. right here. Oh my lord. Oh, if only the listeners can see oh, this. Oh, listeners, you are missing so many good things oh, right yeah. here. Oh yeah. This is not. You're not gonna be able to see what's going on. Phoniness <laughs> too. Such a great amount of work. Yeah. Such a great amount of detail oh in those God. particular panels right there. I, see. I mean, I'm, in the, I'm just inking. Yeah. inking like, actually, I started inking before I was lettering. Well, it's been this marathon thing for the past eight months. I, I moved from San Diego to Portland and in the, middle of, in the middle of drawing this issue. And so I had the issue with me to work on while we were waiting in escrow. And so I was inking, but I didn't have my lettering equipment, so I didn't letter it. So I was having to ink around where the balloons would go in. I still draw my balloons the old-fashioned way. Oh, that's so cool. I don't need artwork. Uh, that's... 
Here's an interesting question that I was thinking of. Now, as evidenced by your epic work in Age of Bronze, in your opinion, what is the most successful way to bring to life on the comics page an event of ancient myth or even history for that matter? Because obviously Age of Bronze is based on the Iliad, which is based off of the Trojan War. How do you think you bring those kind of events into the comics medium? Well, the way I do all my comics, whether it's a real a, a real event that I'm recreating or a mythical event that someone else has told that I'm recreating or something that I'm making up completely myself, is I, as the creator, have to believe what I'm drawing on the page. I have to believe what I'm writing. I have to believe in the characters. I have to believe in the situation and make right. it as real as possible, no matter what it is. Uh-huh. As unreal as it may be in any story. Um, and actually, the unreal is a little bit easier because I just make it up rather than having to do lots of research. I just did this story for Dark Horse that I wrote and drew that said in 1912. And it was like every panel was more research, more reference. Like, oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> what do the, you know, the, the gas lights on the wall that they, they turn on, what do those look like? Oh, what not to draw a car for three panels? Ugh. <laughs> what, is, what did police wear in this in a specific yeah. town in a right. specific year? What were their what were their uniforms like? Right. What were, their, what were what they were, drinking? <laughs> what were the insignias on their hats? Yeah. So I have to do all that research, and if I'm making it all up, then I have to make it all up. But it all goes toward making it believable, and I have to believe it myself to put it on the page so that the reader will believe it. I like how you put that. If you're yeah. not going to believe it, then the readers definitely will not believe it. Yeah. I, I like how you put that. I love that. And um, we have two last questions. Uh, what comics are you reading right now? And, uh, I mean, of course, you showed us the uh, um, the new Age of Bronze uh, issue that will be coming out soon. What else are you working on that will be coming out soon? Um, I'm not. I'm not reading any comics right now. Well, I am reading one comic. I just, I, I just moved. Everything that we own is mostly oh, yeah. boxes. Um, all my graphic <laughs> novels are out in another building in boxes still. Oh dear. <laughs> Actually, I moved to Portland, where there's tons and tons of cartoonists living here. This is like cartoonist central. Uh-huh. So, oh yeah. We we packed. We packed and we didn't move ourselves. We didn't drive the truck ourselves, but we hired someone to drive it. But we packed all ourselves and loaded all the trucks ourselves. So that we had to unload the truck ourselves. And we're like, oh my gosh, we had a truck and a half. Um, <laughs> huh. So I called up all my cartoonist friends, and they all came over. So we had 11 people um, helping us unload this one truck. And you know, I had Steve Lieber carrying boxes. Oh my gosh. Lieber was carrying boxes. Oh. I, I felt maybe they don't. Maybe they don't want me to say this on in public. <laughs> everybody's gonna call them up now. Could you help me, Lou? <laughs> well, that's I what have, friends are for. <laughs> I, have, I have these other cartoonists helping me move. I mean, if they ever need to move, I have to go help them too. Yeah, I will. But um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but so, so Colleen's like, oh. She's carrying this heavy box and it like says GN on it, which is all graphic novels. I have all these tons of graphic novel boxes. And she's like groaning <laughs> and you know, popping them down. Anyway, they're all still packed. All my comics are still packed. Okay. 
Um, Makes sense, enough, though. Oh, as Shanna Wheeler said, don't leave these on the floor because this is Portland and they will, he said he lost a bunch of stuff in boxes once moving or something because they all started molding. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, dear. So, so I got everything off the floor by Shannon told me. Ooh. Um, really good advice. So, so what I'm reading, the comics that I'm reading, I, I got this book out of the library. It is, here, I'll go get it. <laughs> awesome. Diamond and Kirby Superheroes. Oh, oh my, God. my lord, Kirby. Uh, Titan, Titan Books volume collecting all this stuff that Simon and Kirby did in the 40s and 50s. Um, and it has all the fighting American in it. It has Double Life of Private Strong. It has a bunch of other things. Oh, man. So oh. I'm reading this. I've been to so many conventions, I've never seen that before. No, I had never seen this either, but... Um, it's an introduction to Neil Gaiman I saw. Yeah, he did the introduction. Um, and Joe Simon wrote an introduction, too. Um, Ooh. Oh, but there yeah. was another... Let me see. So they did another volume, too, The Best of Simon and Kirby, and this got... Was this an Eisner nominee? I don't know. Anyway, I probably have heard of them, but I didn't really know what they were. So I, this was at the library, so I'm like... Oh, I'll read that. <laughs> I'll check out my Simon and Kirby history. I, never I was going read, to say, I've never that read Fighting is... American before, so now I'm reading it all. <laughs> that is very choice reading, so I must awesome. say. Uh, no, it's just all grist for the mill. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. awesome. And then uh, what is coming out soon that is uh, that you would like to promote? Oh, uh, well... As I said, I just did a story set in 1912. I did that for Dark Horse Presents. I don't know what issue it's going to be in, but it'll be an up upcoming issue. Um, actually, it's an eight-page story about a cousin of mine who strangled his wife the day after Thanksgiving in 1912. So it's called The Thanksgiving Strangler, and it's, a, it's a, based on a real, real event. Wow. No one in my family knew about until I was doing some genealogical research and I ran across these newspaper headlines and I'm like, what is this? And I discovered that this cousin had strangled his first wife. I knew about the cousin, I knew about his second wife, but this first wife had been totally wiped from history. Wow. And no one knew about this. So um, I found it, I found a whole story and it was national news so i all my research most of my research was in which is was in old newspapers God, that's crazy so okay crazy. I, I have to read that, <laughs> that so that'll so be cool. out in dark horse presents in, in the relatively near future awesome i don't know Ooh. i don't know what issue and i just did just today i finished up the second cover i was doing a I'll go get them. Oh my God! Yeah, we're gonna so see a little good. bit more how interactive I, this, this is getting. This is my favorite interview. Oh I yeah. <laughs> uh, I, can, I can show you the pages. Ah. Right oh there. man. Oh my God! I'm geeking out so much right now. So awesome. So, so here's a Thanksgiving Strangler story. Can you see this? Yes. Oh, yes. My oh my Lord. gosh. And are you doing the art? Yeah. Yeah. I'm oh my. That is. This. Gorgeous. Oh, man, look at that. That so, is so um, amazing. This is what I was complaining about. Oh, this is... Oh, yeah, earlier. Okay. 
complaining about all the research I was doing. I had to do in every, almost every panel. <laughs> like, here's the car, the car. Oh, hi, man. Um, this is like a dance at a, at, um, like a, what do you call it? A fraternal order club. It was called Knights of the Maccabees. It was like the Elks or the, you know, like yeah. that. Okay, like an um, Elk Lodge, yeah. So I, I had to, like, you know, do all this research. Pianos in 1912. Oh, so people boarded cool. dances in 1912. Did you go to any museums by any chance? Because, I mean. No, I did it all mostly on the internet. And the thing is, I did this right after we moved in, and so I didn't have any, hardly any reference, anything. I had, I had no books, so I had to do everything on the internet, because I didn't have anything out. Everything's mostly still packed. Oh, that's so cool, though. Is it safe to say you probably know more about 1912 now than you did when you went in to do it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here's a copy. Oh. So, um, there's a Spanish publisher that is re, re is issuing new translations of the Oz books. So they asked me to do a couple covers. So this is a cover for the Emerald City of Oz, which is the sixth Oz book. Oh, look at those colors, so man. So cool. So I don't know when these are going to be out. But we get to see them, and the audience doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are definitely honored here. Um, that is so cool. Thank you so much, Eric, again. Thanks for tuning in. You can check out our other shows and offering. Oh. oh, I mean, yeah, I mean. Oh, okay. Oh, I mean, unless you want to talk more, man. We, we, we love talking. Yeah. I'll talk more. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh man, I don't know what to talk about. This is—I mean, I'm just—I'm blown away because I love seeing original art. Like, oh, oh I know, man. same here. It, it was just wonderful to be able to see those panels, like you were showing us, and just seeing all of that tight artwork done. And personally, for me, the best was seeing the raw pencils right there. I—I I just love seeing that. Yeah. I love—I love seeing art when it's in progression like that. Uh, what actually brought you out to uh, Portland? Well. My partner and I had lived in San Diego for almost 20 years, and he was getting really tired of it. And yeah. longest, longest place I ever lived anywhere, and I was kind of itching, like, I got to move. I got to move. This is way too long to live anywhere. <laughs> um, also, we owned a condo, which was okay, but we didn't. neither of us really wanted to live in a condo for the rest of our lives. So yeah. we wanted to buy a house, and we were never going to be able to afford a house in San Diego. No, yeah. <laughs> So for, for many years now, we've been going, where should we move? Where should we move? Since we're both, we both work at home, uh, we can live just about anywhere. And finally, Portland just worked out. Just one, one, Portland on one. Yeah. Where else were you looking? Were you looking in Austin, Texas? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I'm from. That's why I ask. Shameful oh, yeah. plug-in, well, I mean, dude. If I had to move to Texas, yes, Austin would be at the top of the list. Can I ask Jeff to move the microphone or whatever it is away from his face? Oh, so you can see him? Oh, yeah. I'm right here. I'll turn on a light. I'll turn on a light too in a second. But uh, I'm right here. I'm right to the right to. I'll turn on a light. Tyler's right. Thanks for listening in. Our podcasts are available on iTunes and any other podcast app, and of course our website, thegrankygathering.com. We have articles, video series, and other podcasts available for you to enjoy. While you're there, go ahead and contact us. We would love to hear from you. You can stay updated from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and, of course, we stream on Twitch TV every so often. 
The intro is provided by binsound.com, and you can buy Return to Slumberland on um, IDW's website, Comicsology, and you can also go to your local comic book store. And I am very lucky, and I got the San Diego Comic-Con edition this year, <laughs> that hardcover. I don't know. Wait, was, it a, was that a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive? Do you know? The, um, they told me it was. The deluxe, the deluxe edition was not exclusive. There was an exclusive one in 2015. That was a hardcover uh, with a sketch cover, which was basically just Gabriel's artwork, same cover, same artwork for the cover that was on the regular hardcover, except it was in black and white, not in color, which seems... I gotta look at mine again. Right. I'll grab it. For a a special con edition, you know, we're going to dress this up, but what (laughs) we do is just take the color away and it's in black and white on the cover. (laughs) I don't know. It seems crazy to me, but that's the way this industry goes, I guess. I mean, a Comic Con once it has like exclusive on it, every you know people are gonna buy it. You know, like it, it could just like if like oh instead of you know instead of them giving a thumbs up, they're doing they're doing a peace sign, and then everybody will be flocking like oh my god, and fifteen dollars more for one issue. No, indeed. <laughs> I did that with Snot Girl. I bought a ten dollar Snot Girl. Uh, I mean, as much as I love Snot Girl, I bought a ten dollar. Comic Con exclusive, and I'm just like, why did I do that? <laughs> why did you do that? That's, var- that's variance, man. That's how they get you. But uh, I mean, it's a fantastic series. I I, I do love it. But anyways, uh, so come and join the gathering. Have a great week, and G G G. Thank you so much, Eric. Woo! Woo-hoo, yeah. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Jeff.